0: To, to, to be sure, there are actually other stories about Jesus as a child, uh, only this one that we have in our scriptures, but there are some other stories that were passed down, and I got to tell you, this is probably the, the uh, easiest one to read. There's one story where Jesus is accused of pushing another boy off of a roof, killing him. Uh, there's, a, there's another story of Jesus being mad at another kid and telling him, um, essentially, You're dead. Um, um, And then some other crazy stories about young Jesus. And when you read these stories and, you know, you think about, oh, sweet Jesus, baby Jesus in the manger. You you read some of these, you think, what happened? What happened to sweet baby Jesus? And so it's good that we have this one. This one, Jesus doesn't come across so badly. There is a part where I kind of wonder, yeah, he's 12 years old. All right. All right. But let's set ourselves up. A lot of times when we read the story about Jesus being left in the temple, a lot of people want to say, how in the world could Mary and Joseph lose the savior of the world? You were promised that you would be able to have God with you. The angel came to you and said, you are going to bear a son. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. He will be the king. He will be Emmanuel. You kind of want to take care of that, don't you? How do you lose Jesus. Well, those of you who've ever had a 12 year old can probably answer that. Matter of fact, Luke even answers that, right? And Luke doesn't seem to make a big deal about that aspect of it. How do they lose it? Well, you know, they're traveling in packs. They're with their family and their friends. They've all gone to Jerusalem to the temple like they do every year to celebrate the feast, the Passover. It's kind of like Christmas and Easter. Right. That's one of those big holy days that people who may not even regularly go to church. They know that they got to go to church on Easter or Christmas. Right. Feast of the Passover is kind of like that. It's the big holy day of the year. And so Jesus, his family, friends and other family, they've made this trip to Jerusalem. And when it was time to go home, you know, you'd kind of say, well, we got everything in order. Yeah, so-and-so. Okay, let's just get out of here. Everybody's going. And it's really easy to think, oh, you know what? You seen Jesus? No, last time I saw him, he was with so-and-so and and his cousins, and they were back there throwing rocks and throwing other kids off the roof, right? And so it seems kind of easy for Luke that they kind of lost track of him. Those of us who've seen Home Alone more than one time, we know how easy that can be, too, right? So it's not so difficult to figure out how they lost Jesus. Lost in the crowd. I thought he was with you. The more difficult question is actually the question that Jesus gave to his parents. See, once Mary and Joseph realized that he's not with sister so-and-so, he's not with his cousins, he's not with whomever, they realized, we left him. We lost the Savior of the world, y'all. <laughs> and they begin to look for him. Luke says three days they're looking for him. Can you imagine anxiety? Can you imagine what Mary's feeling? Can you imagine what kind of parent Joseph thinks he is right now? He's lost his child. But then they found him. Where did they find him? At church. I mean, where would you expect to find Jesus? But church. We hope that's still the the truth today, right? That people can come to church and still find a little Jesus in church. Don't we? (laughs) The funny thing is, that's really up to you guys whether people can find Jesus here or not. But I'm going to leave that one alone. But Mary and Joseph, they finally find Jesus. He's there. He's, he's, talking with, uh, he's talking with religious leaders. He's talking with theologians, scribes, and Pharisees, people later on that will, will fight him, people later on that will want to kill him. He's talking to them. He's asking them questions about God, about, about scripture, about faithfulness, about our life, about who knows what else. And as he's talking, as he's asking questions, as he's even participating in his own and giving his own response, People are amazed. They're amazed at what he seems to have uh, knowledge of. They're amazed at his perception. They're amazed that this young mind could even care that much about this kind of stuff. Side note, can I just say that um, young people today can still care about God that much? We just have to teach them to care. Okay? Okay. Back to our regularly scheduled program. So they come and they see the scene going on that Jesus is interacting with all these people. You got to think Mary is overwhelmed. I found him. Oh, my goodness. I'm glad he's here. Joseph, we're okay. He's here. We find him. I kind of see, you know how mama gets sometimes, right? Come here, boy. Jesus, what are you doing here? You know, we were worried, sick, looking for you. We were looking everywhere. How could you do this to How could you just decide that you're going to stick around and not tell anybody? We've been looking everywhere for you. And the question that Jesus asked them is the question I think you and I need to focus on more. And the question is not how did um, uh, Joseph and Mary lose Jesus, but his question is why were you even looking for me? Why did you not know where I'd be, really? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? That I had to be about my father's interest? Did you not know that I was going to be in my father's house? Did you, were you not told mama who I would be? Why would you think to look anywhere else but here first? I guess those of us who are still trying to find our place in in this gospel story, in this Christmas story, realize that there are many times when we are looking for God, and we just kind of think, wow, I forgot to leave a look here. I'm I'm here every week. I know the routine of how things go. I know what kind of songs we're going to sing. I know the people I'm going to meet. I I, I know so much about what happens here that... I kind of forget that this is a place where I can find God, where I can have an encounter with God. Um, we were teenagers when Gloria and I first started going out, and uh, uh, her mama said, now her mom was a preacher. Those of you who know her and the family, and her mama said, and I don't know if she exactly said it this way, but this was, the, this was the message. If that boy can follow you everywhere else, he can follow you to church. Mamas, you can say that to your children, by the way. So she said, if That little boy can follow you to church. Anywhere else, he can follow you to church. So guess what I did for the girl? <laughs> I'll go to church for that girl. And here's, here's, what, here's the funny thing about when I first started going to church oh, my goodness, I was bored out of my mind. Miss Alawine, bless her heart, and she's the one who married Gloria and I and a very spiritual lady serving God still today. And I can just remember going to that church and just oh. and You know the whole like it's kinda of cliche now that when you want to take a nap in church, just pretend you're praying, wake up and say Amen. It wasn't a cliche for me, y'all. That was something I learned how to do. This was, God, it was so boring. It's like church is boring today, right? (laughs) Later on, when I would come into the ministry, uh, I think God gave me that vision of myself a long time ago, and I told myself, I'm going to do my very best to never do that to somebody else okay so but anyway a couple years went by i guess and you know i've been going to this church it's like you got to come over and over and over and you see the same things you hear kind of the same things you and you, know, you hear them you get used to the music and i remember miss <coughs> alawine um she was a preacher then before that uh, her other uh life option was to be an opera singer holy moly right she had a great voice and one day she told us that uh Part of her sermon, she was going to be singing, right? Right? At first, I'm like, you know, I'm like, that's crazy, right? I mean, I didn't love Jesus either, right? And so, (laughs) you know, I didn't think too much of it, but I'm there, and I remember it was Holy Week, and uh, Miss Hallowine, she just started all this stuff. I'm thinking, okay, well, whatever. And then she finished her time. And, and she played, she was playing piano, she was singing, and she finished with this song called, uh, maybe you know it, The Spirit Song. Anybody know The Spirit Song? Um, sisters and brothers, I am a, a, a Wesleyan, a United Methodist Christian to the bone. And so I, I, I appreciate and I understand so much about our ideas of, of, of uh, prevenient grace and, and justifying grace and sanctifying grace. I got to tell you, all those years, I didn't know anything about that stuff. But I experienced it. There I was listening to some lady just belt out all kind of stuff. And she started singing that song. Oh, let the Son of God enfold you. And and, and I got to tell you, I don't, I didn't know what was happening. But I do know what prevenient grace feels like. Because as I sat there listening, there was something about how she sang that song. You you got one of these red hymnals there. Can I borrow that real quick? Not that one. Yeah, that one right there. There was something about as she started singing, I thought, what is that feeling? What what does all this mean? What is, uh, I don't understand what's going on. She would say, oh, let the Son of God enfold you with his spirit and his love. Let him fill your heart and satisfy your soul. Let him have the things that hold you, and his spirit like a dove will descend upon your life and make you whole. I think at that moment, my life was beginning to be made whole. I'm not going to lie to you this morning and say that, man, that night changed my life forever. I I turned around every way. Thank you, brother. That I thought about life, that I was completely committed to God. But I will tell you this, in that church that day, something happened to my heart. And it's my prayer always that as you and I come to church, church week after week, as we're part of services on Christmas Eve, as we're part of services on New Year's Eve, all these services. Sometimes it can be so easy to sort of kind of okay, Pastor John wants me to go to church. Man, we went to church three times this week. Man, what is he trying to prove, right? I know it makes me cry too. But it could be if we allow the Spirit of God, if we allow our hearts to be tuned into the Father's business, each time we come to church, God can do something great to our hearts. See, coming to church doesn't just have to be the same boring old thing. Coming to church doesn't have to be just to say, okay, I know, okay, I get it, yeah. God can do something great today. But we've got to understand that what happens here is God's business. And, and I'm just going to say this. Um, it's okay. Um, I, I've been a part of several churches. I've known a lot of church folk. And I don't know that a lot of Christians understand that what's supposed to happen in here is God's business and not their business. How many times i got to hear church folk talk about my pew. My, my seat. She's sitting in my spot. Preacher, how come we ain't sang my favorite hymn yet? Man. Preacher, I don't like what you did. I don't like what's happening. I don't like that you let those kind of people into my church. Whose business are we about? We're supposed to be about God's business. Church folk might just have to get over themselves. Why were you looking for me, mom and dad? You, you had to have known that I was going to be here learning, training, figuring out how to be obedient to God, because that is the kind of thing that's supposed to happen in church. That people can come, and even if they come with questions, they can come, and they can hear, and they can be renewed, they can be restored, they can be set out, they can be given a new life. But I've got to tell you, sisters and brothers, none of that happens today if you and I don't get over ourselves and realize that this place is God's business and not ours. If it's our business, we're worried about where we sit. If it's our business, we're worried about the type of people who come. If it's our business, we're going to brag on the preacher that We haven't sung that song yet. If it's our business, we're going to tell that preacher, Hey, stay here. Don't move. You need to be still. (laughs) But if it's God's business, everybody who walks through that door, Whether they come with a suit or a tie, whether they come with tattoos or earrings, whether they come with anything knowing about church, everybody who comes through that door is welcomed in the name of the Lord. That's God's business. Whether they have enough money to keep the lights on here or not, whether they can have food on their table or bring food to the potluck, doesn't matter. Anybody is welcome in the name of the Lord. Because that's God's business. God's business is that we as church people realize that sometimes we as church people mess up. Sometimes we hurt each other. Sometimes we say things that we don't mean. Sometimes we do say things that we mean. But God's business is forgiveness. And so we say, I forgive you, and let's move forward. God's business is what matters. And, and, and I, as long as I'm here, that's what we're going to be worried about. Amina came this morning. She says, "Um, Pastor, um, I have a, how does she say it? She said, uh, I don't have a complaint. I have a concern. Right? Now, and, and she had a concern. And that was good. But here, here's, here's the deal. Complaints. We can complain about anything. But is it God's business? Then I don't care. And neither should you. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I'd be about my Father's business? See, this church, every church of God, should be a place where we can say to the world, Why were you looking out there? Couldn't you see in our faces... And in our attitudes, couldn't you hear in the way that we spoke to you and to each other that we are about God's business? Sisters and brothers, this is the time of the year when people start talking about New Year's resolutions and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know, if if you're like me, you threw that out the door like years ago. You just decided that's for like perfect people who can like do stuff, right? Not me. But it's still good to to look at our lives and and ask, where can I serve more faithfully? Where can I be more about my father's business? Maybe that's a question you and I need to ask for ourselves and for God's church. (laughs) And here's a fun thing. If we begin to ask ourselves that, if we begin to take God's business seriously, the blessings begin. So here's what I think we need to do. We should pray because often it is very easy to think that just because we're here, our hearts are about God's business. But that isn't always necessarily true. And if you want your life to be indeed about God's business, I'm going to invite you to pray with me now. Oh God, you have shown us your son. You have shown us what his faithfulness looks like. And we have heard those words, come follow me. God, we ask for your forgiveness this morning when we have been more concerned with our own business, our own desires, our own wants, more than yours. But what we ask, Lord, is that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us, put in our hearts what matters to you. That you would teach us what your business is about so that we can love you and we can love your world the way you want us to. Free us, God, now for joyful obedience so that we can be ready to leave this place and to be about your business. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.